Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, welcome to the American Liberties uh, Wednesday night call. Today is April 19th, one day after the real April Fool's Day, and because uh, yesterday was tax day, and um, so I'm sure all the taxpayers got their their uh, their forms in, or at least asked, asked for extension of time. The... Um, what I just wanted to start off and say tonight is um, I, r- I really like to thank ev- everybody in their participation and their input and some of the ideas. Uh, in fact, some of the ideas that I get are, are a little bit off the wall, but that's okay. Um, you know, it, it's always good to at least um, you never know what what will stick and what doesn't. But what has stuck and will continue to stick is the statutes, law, and regulations. Now, you know, again, I've had some conversations this week of people saying, well, the statutes don't apply to me. Well, that's true. They don't. But some do, you know. And, and you got to pick and choose and know which ones do and don't. And they'll go into a tangent about the legislative, don't have legislative rule over the people in the states. And that's true. I'm, you, know, that's, I'm, you know, that's not even an argument. You know, the best way to diffuse an argument is to agree with somebody. Then, then there's no argument. And Dave is probably the one who really hammered this into me by listening to them over and over and over again. You think things get redundant. You try to listen to Dave's material for 10 years. And and after the 11th year, you're still learning, okay? You're still coming up with revelations on on different things because there's so much information that you can't get it all in one reading. You can't sit down and just get it all. So recently, you know, I, I, I come to my own revelation with with uh, what the government has done with, like, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. And, and Dave j- jumped all over it. We're promised a clear explanation of the law, okay? And when you go look up, you know, go ahead and look up the definition of clear, you know, and uh, and so forth. And then you have the how the Bill of Rights was codified in Title Twenty Six Seventy Eight O Three. In addition, now you take that and you take Dave's materials, whether it be mens rea that you can articulate it to use against the IRS or in protection there, you know, 
of your, you know, using it as a defense strategy, okay? But I'm looking at it as turning it around the tables like I did in 2007 with the grand jury by using the law and turning it around and put it on them, making them the defendant where I become the complainant or the plaintiff. And 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 that, and that puts a a a a, a, a great deal of power in your hands right there because the government has the burden of proof and they cannot prove what you can prove by listening and learning David's material at wevgov.com and uh, thank you other property he just put it in there um when you when you can start grasping and understanding and articulating yourself in a position of power then things are things are going to happen now with david's material if you read the memorandum of law he has issues a through uh whatever the the alphabet is h or or something like that but he has several issues, and the first three or four is all you need. I mean, they cannot get around those issues. And and so with the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights and Title 26, 7803, now I, I kind of used a little bit of that already in the letter, and they said, oh, you know, we're not going to listen to your frivolous positions. Now, wait a minute. The IRM is enforceable by, by statute. The, the Taxpayers of Bill of Rights, the 7803, and the Supreme Court decision, they're saying is frivolous. I mean, you've got to understand that. Where, you know, what, what a position they're putting me in, which is great, because... In equity, we got to have fairness, man. We got to have, we, we got to, you know, the law should be equal to everybody. We should have equal access to the law and understanding the law. If I make a mistake, I need to be corrected so it doesn't become a crime and vice versa. So that with that, that's just a summary of what I've been working on and dealing with and, um, and I'd like to thank a friend of mine who told me about uh, taking coconut oil again, and I started doing that, and my mind seems to be uh, getting out of the fog now, which which is a great help. So anyhow, with that being said, uh, Dave, are you on? Off and on. There he is. Okay. Uh, I'd like to in- introduce Dave Marilyn for anybody who's new on the call, which I don't see anybody new, but I love to repeat it. He's a good friend of mine, and if it wasn't for him in 2000, meeting him in 2006, I don't think the position that I'm in would be the same. And I like to thank, I first thank God for 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 uh, that to happen, but I like to thank Dave for his. Uh, because of who he is and, and his expertise and his knowledge and his brilliance to see things that other people just don't see. And uh, so with that, I'd like to introduce Dave Merlin. 
Dave, please take it away. Hey, thanks, Chris. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the April 19th American Liberties Call 2017. My name is David Merlin. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. Approve it on a daily basis. Believe it. <clears throat> so, yep. Uh, criminal intent. This... Uh, Ninth Circuit case from 1994. Uh, it's really uh, a uh, clear, broad, effective, and efficient statement of the idea that you have to have criminal intent to be guilty. And I got to tell you, <clears throat> no big deal was ever made of this in all my studies. Uh, and really, I didn't look at the uh, criminal code until about, I don't know, 2000. But uh, I never heard a big deal made of uh, criminal intent as an essential element. And essential elements are my specialty. Uh, statutory interpretation, is this person guilty? Well, let's see what the statute says and pick it apart, item by item, element by element, and see if the conduct matches the description of what the government has prohibited as a crime. And criminal intent was so often ignored by the government that it never really struck me that it might be a violation, but it's one of those hiding in plain sight type of things. And the Ninth Circuit, 1994, uh, nailed the coffin shut on this, and it wasn't enough for the government because... They don't honor this. Uh, this upon its face, if you've heard much at all, I expect this to strike you as a foreign notion. And yet it's 1994, Ninth Circuit. <clears throat> How much of this have you ever seen a cop held to? Gasho versus United States, 39 Federal 3rd, 1420. It is fundamental that a person is not criminally responsible unless criminal, criminal intent accompanies the wrongful act. Consequently, to have probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed, an arresting officer would have to reasonably believe that Sharon Gasho intended to defy or frustrate the seizure at the time that she removed the logbooks. This is about an airplane that was being seized, and she didn't understand that the logbooks were subject to the seizure, and she removed the logbooks, but without criminal intent to do so. An arresting officer would have to reasonably believe that the defendant intended to violate the criminal statute. 1994. So the Supreme Court said nothing new in 2015 in Alonis versus the United States. Uh, by the way, Gasho versus the United States, Ninth Circuit, 1994, cites Morissette versus United States, 1952 Supreme Court. Morissette versus the United States was cited also in Alonis versus U.S., 2015. So this is one complete unbroken chain 
of expressions of the idea that probable cause has to be there. <clears throat> now we have this uh, Supreme Court case, 2016. How many years ago was that? Count with me. That was last May, one year ago. Torres versus Lynch. Consider the law respecting mens rea or criminal intent. In general, courts interpret criminal statutes to require that a defendant possess mens rea or guilty mind as to every element of the offense. So if the essential elements of the offense are if someone unlawfully restrains another person and takes them to another location without the authority to do so, they're guilty of kidnapping. Okay, so they have to unlawfully restrain. That means they have to restrain the other individual without the authority to do so, either by handcuffs or by physical force or gunpoint. And they have to move them to another location. O.J. Simpson did not. The whole thing took place in one hotel room. So he was mischarged when they brought kidnapping charges against him. But you have to be guilty of each essential element of the offense. Here's a real good one. And I'm not just saying that. 18 U.S.C. 514. <coughs> it has, it's a fictitious obligation, like the OID, 25 years in prison, Class B felony, fed. But it says, whoever with the intent to defraud does this or this, or, uh, let's see, number one, prints, draws, processes, produces, publishes, or otherwise makes, or attempts or causes the same. Number two, passes, utters, presents, offers, brokers, issues, sells, or attempts, or causes the same, or with like intent. <clears throat> Three, utilizes interstate or foreign commerce, including wire, mails, the radio, or other electronic communication uh, to transmit, transport, ship, move, transfer, blah, blah, blah. Listen to this. Here comes another element. If they did any of that in regard to any false or fictitious instrument, document, or other item appearing, representing, purporting, or contriving through scheme or artifice to be an actual security or other financial instrument issued under the authority of the United States. And as I look at this OID I just got from somebody that's facing an indictment, Hang on, i got to find the darn thing. Here we go. It's a, uh, it's a uh, personal money order. And uh, let's see. What does it call itself? Um, well, you son of a gun. Doggone it. Get it together, Microsoft. Okay, I had to open the document again. It's a personal money order. It's not called an OID. And it's for $12,212, February 2013. And uh, nowhere, it says that the draw, the drawer is 
the citizen taxpayer. Pay to the United States Treasury. So it's hardly drawn on the authority of the United States because it's made out to the United States. And yet they brought charges against her under a statute that requires that the security they bitch about purports to have been issued under the authority of the United States of America. It's a false charge. It's that simple. They don't care because your knees knock. And I can't blame this woman if that's the truth. Two counts under 514, possible uh, maximum of 50 years in prison. They'll let her plead guilty to one count because they got her spouse under a bunch of charges. But right off the mark, it's a false charge, and they're going to win on it because her public defender will not make that argument. I'll bet you anything. I hope I get my chance to talk to the public defender because <clears throat> I'll tell them about that. Where on the face of that security does it, depo- uh, does it purport to have been drawn uh, or issued under the authority of the United States? Nowhere. <clears throat> See how, it e- how easy it is if you're in the government to just screw somebody? It's amazing. Just amazing. And yet, it's right out in the open. It's happening. They're just Americans. Stick them in prison. It it hurts to sit out here and be able to so quickly prove that someone is innocent. Uh, It's 18 U.S.C. 514. And be able to prove that they're innocent with just a glance at the statute compared to the evidence, what the hell are you trying to do to her? We're trying to do the run of the mill, the status quo, the standard operating procedure, and it's working. She's going to go to prison. And that's who you're up against. You think they'd give you back a dime of your money if they didn't intend on coming back later and calling your names over it? You don't lose an argument with a government like this. Unless you got governments, uh, I'm sorry, unless you got counsel that the judges can't run from. So it's that easy to lose. Every judge is as corrupt as the day is long. They'll look right at that evidence and say, well, nobody objected. So yeah, I sent her to prison. Not up to me to raise the issue that This is a conspiracy by the prosecutors to send her to prison falsely, which is a 10-year felony under 18 U.S.C. 214. None of my business what they do to her. And they send them to prison. The judges don't believe that they're complicit in the prosecutor's crimes when they see an innocent person go to prison. And I got news for you. 18 U.S.C. 32... 31, 18 U.S.C. 3231, the district court shall have jurisdiction of offenses. Well, once you're cognizant of the fact that there's no offense here, your honor, you've lost all jurisdiction. You only have jurisdiction over offenses. And so you don't have jurisdiction. What happens to somebody at the hands of a judge with no jurisdiction 
the judge has no tort immunity. If you prove that the court lost all jurisdiction at some juncture and you still went to jail, the judge is liable too. That's a fact. So, <clears throat> under 514, that security that she's been indicted for having sent to the government, the personal money order, doesn't purport, it does not purport to be issued under the authority of the United States. And she's going to prison. Wow, that really sucks. Now, for you, the student, look at how quickly, this is course number one, how to determine if you're guilty, the civic duty course. Uh, Chris, will you check wevgov.com and see if I offer that course on the website? Um, uh, how to tell if you're guilty. You'll look at the language of the statute. You'll look at your conduct. If you have to, you'll look up the legal meaning of some terms that are used. If you have to, it's about a contract. Go to American Jurisprudence second and uh, look up in contracts all about your rights and uh and their rights under the contract that you signed with them, whoever, not the government. Um, it's how to tell if you're guilty. You go to the language. And uh, you saw me do exactly that. And in course number one, uh, I show you how in 33 different states, gifting clubs did not violate the pyramid scheme statutes, and yet they were prosecuted across the United States in 2000. 2001 and 2. And so I go to the statute, compare it to the conduct. I usually have enough knowledge about the definition of terms in the statutes I'm asked to analyze. Or I go to the case law and to the law dictionary and look up the definition of the terms I need to know to, to stack up that statute correctly against the facts. And um, I look at that statute. I know you have to meet every element. One of the elements is it has to be it has to claim to have been issued under the authority of the U.S. Her security does not, and so there's one element of that offense she doesn't meet. Not guilty. And you just watch me do it. <clears throat> it was that easy. 18 U.S.C. 514. It's a protracted statute, meaning it's drawn out of ways. Hang on. Here we go. Uh, there's an indented part, A, 1, 2, and 3, and then an indented part under 3 that contains that element that it has to claim to have been issued under the authority of the United States. Or other, uh, let's see, under the authority of the United States, a foreign government, a state or other political subdivision there of the U.S., or an organization. It doesn't list individual. I stopped too soon when I was reading it. Take note of that also. The authority of the United States, a foreign government, a state or other political subdivision of the U.S. or an organization shall be guilty of a Class B felony. It doesn't say person. It doesn't say individual, natural person. And so she doesn't meet that element right there. It isn't drawn under the authority 
of the United States, a foreign government, or an organization. It's drawn under the authority of her. Her name is on it as the drawer. So, bingo. A big, broad something that left her right out of it. And so quickly, I'm able, I won't now. You know, I don't know how long it takes somebody to go through course number one. It's got a bunch of audio instruction and documents and one set of policies that gifting clubs uh, claim to share or to have in common across the United States. And I took those commonalities and ran them through the language of all those uh, pyramid scheme statutes. And I just did the same thing with this document they say is a uh, security and they're right about that, but it doesn't meet the description of the security that means you're guilty. And that quickly, I found one element, bingo. Now, with one element lacking, once the court receives proof of it, the court has received proof, it's without jurisdiction. Well, if you're without jurisdiction, um, why don't you invalidate the indictment? What do you say, Your Honor? Aren't they bound to find their own jurisdiction, sua sponte, meaning on their own? The answer is yes. And so when you put proof of innocence in front of the court, find your jurisdiction. You have jurisdiction over offenses. There's no probable cause of an offense because on the face of the document, it does not meet the definition, basically, of the security that can get somebody in trouble. Next case. That quickly. And I wonder how many others who sit in prison on OID charges are under the... I don't know how OIDs are filled out typically, whether they claim uh, uniformly, you know, across the board to be drawn on the authority of the U.S. Um, I'd have to see the document, of course. But just this one, how wide out in the, right out in the open, she's obviously innocent. It makes me wonder how many of the people suffering OID prosecutions are, in fact, innocent. It hurts. Innocent people in prison. Something else. Uh, might be able, let me see here. Nope. Uh, here. I was trying to dream up a uh, a link for you on um, yeah. Oh well. Dave, I don't see the course number one. Um. Okay. It's just an exercise in, you know, here are the facts. Here's the statute they say I'm violating. Here's how to analyze the statute. And I did it for 33 different states. So, um, the, uh, I wonder how many people are sitting in jail when their evidence proves the opposite. Uh, other properties has asked the judge to take judicial notice on the record. Uh, that's right. That the law does not reach the actions of the defendant. The law does not prohibit the actions of the defendant. Here's the reason. Here's the case law that says so. Notice how I haven't said claims to the jurisdiction to the third power and a gold French flag and a 
take two of these and call me in the morning, in the box. That's the easiest and quickest way to kill a wrongful charge. So, anyway, uh, it's very easy to prove on these. And if all of her money orders look like that, none of them claim to be issued by the authority of anything but an individual, and the individual is not mentioned in the statute that mentions other things. So I'm very confident with that analysis. It, it's a no-brainer. And there it is right in front of you. And by the way, it's 18 U.S.C. 514, not 541. Got it confused with 241 of Title 18, which the judge joins, becomes complicit in when he lets it go to trial after receiving proof of innocence. He has entered the conspiracy against your rights. Things you've got to know. Now, uh, let's see, we've got... Uh, okay. Interesting. I got his indictment and her indictment right in front of me. It's not worth getting into, but um, as you heard in the last couple of calls, it's a matter of uh, 650 years maximum for the husband and 625 years maximum for the wife. Wow. And uh, yes, of course, if he continues his case, he's vulnerable. So uh, 99.9% of the people in that situation would plead guilty to a lesser charge or just a couple of counts and uh, call it a day. But he obviously had no criminal intent. So uh, it's up to... uh, you know, it's up to him and his counsel to decide which way to go. I am not an attorney. And the first thing you do is you get an attorney between you and the government. It is the first thing you do. Because if you haven't been arrested yet, you still have a chance to avert being arrested and hauled into the federal detention center for three days awaiting a probable cause hearing. Which would disrupt your life enough. But when you get to the probable cause hearing, the prosecutor is going to have a 55-gallon drum full of documents lying about you being a a flight risk and a danger to the community. And you're going to have an attorney that just met you try to argue against all those lies. Um, other property, I don't know what you're talking about, says Mentrea and 18 U.S.C. uh, 514 does not apply. So, um, you, uh, what did I just say, Chris, right before that? Um, I was, (laughs) I'm thinking about what what he wrote, and and I, uh, just about the, uh, I, I, I'm not sure exactly. I know you were talking about okay. her indictment and how they uh, they don't meet the requirements. but Oh, yeah, and uh, so 99.9% of the people would plead guilty, 
and that's what he's up against is uh, they're going to supersede the indictment with a couple hundred more years worth of charges. And then if he pleads guilty, they'll double that little bit that they were willing to give him on the first one. When he never, in fact, intended to violate the law. He thought the OIDs were legal. They never bothered to ask. They build this mountain against him, and they win by refusing to consider everything they're supposed to consider for innocence when they bring charges. Because as we heard in this case of uh, Gasho, uh, let's see. First, Torres versus Lynch, Supreme Court, 2016. Consider the law respecting mens rea. In general, courts interpret criminal statutes to require that a defendant possess mens rea or a guilty mind as to every element of the offense. Gasho, Ninth Circuit, 1994. It is fundamental that a person is not criminally responsible unless criminal intent accompanies the wrongful act. Well, shouldn't they ask every time then, did you know you're breaking the law by doing that? Aren't they supposed to ask that? Didn't, isn't that what this just said? It is fundamental that a person is not criminally responsible unless criminal intent accompanies the wrongful act. Well, go find out if they intended to break the law. No, we're just going to bring the charges and club the shit out of them. That's the difference between our rights and the government. In the same paragraph, Gasho versus U.S., Ninth Circuit, 1994, says, consequently, to have probable cause, and they're going to mention a police officer. But why would this not be true for the prosecutor that's going to bring charges against an OID filer? Consequently, to have probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed, an arresting officer would have to reasonably believe that the defendant intended to violate the essential element. So why don't they make an inquiry? Did you know you're breaking the law by filing those? Or are you some kind of an idiot? You could get indicted for that. I expect that. And they would rather have you filling a prison bed when you're in fact innocent than keep you out of trouble out there in the workforce. They truly believe their, their, their mission in life is to put innocent people in prison and to steal from people who don't owe any money. And yet this maxim of criminal jurisprudence is as wide as the Mississippi. People have to get on the board. Criminal intent. It's, man, really, everybody has to learn it. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, I got the only course on it uh, that even comes close to uh, we, the activists, uh, we, the ones who are willing to take on the government, uh, whatever somebody wants to call us. I've been, I've been called a sovereign citizen, which I am not. Uh, people have said I'm in the movement, which I am not. But all of us who are willing to confront the government, uh, you simply have to know your rights under this uh, this uh, tenet of criminal jurisprudence, criminal intent, and this uh, this 
OID or this uh, excuse me excuse me personal money order obviously does not meet the definition, so she's innocent. And hopefully they're going to line me up with their their attorney when they finally get one, so I can discuss things with them and go through a few things to expect. Because uh, if they're if they're at all new to the anti-tax movement, there's a lot to learn. Just man, you got to start today. Well, hey, anybody on the call got any comments, Chris? Okay, has star eight. Uh, if you're on the phone and raise your hand, or if you have any questions, statements, or comments, uh, go ahead. And here we got North Missouri. Go ahead, North Missouri. Hello. Hello. Hello, my name is Jeff. Hi, Jeff. And I'm reading a book here. I don't know if you know this guy and what good timing. Um, his name is David E. Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He was, um, I think he's uh, back in Maine, and uh, he tried to skirt around the IRS, and uh, he tried to take him to court, and um, he lost, and I think he spent some time in jail, but now he's written quite a few books about our legal system and commerce. And uh, he is describing here, um in one part of his book called a new beginning study course connect the dots and see it's kind of a uh sequel to uh another book that he's got uh let me see here i just want to get uh, everyone it's called reclaim your sovereignty take back your christian name and basically he's saying here uh so the IRS creates most of the activity of commercial collection in the world. The collection process is valid even though the IRS is not registered to do business in any state. Have you ever come across that concept? Uh, I've heard parts of that argument like the uh, Christian name and stuff, and uh-huh. uh, and when you can actually prove that you don't owe the money, uh, I don't have occasion to really argue anything else. And since all I do is uh, criminal, I don't argue liens and levies. And in the civil actions that we have done over the last two years, uh, people have seen firsthand that it's like pulling teeth just to get justice. We've right. got the easiest... We've got the easiest questions right in court, and they won't even talk about the simplest statutes. They say, "Explain how to tax us." Right. And I'm not in. I'm not in the show me the law crowd. I have nothing to do with the anti-tax movement. Nothing in common with them. So don't lump me in with that. But um, when they won't even talk about the statute that all of them say, "Explain how to tax your paycheck." Yeah. Why would you go? Why would you go with a lesser argument? Right. So so I have my arguments that are statutory because those are the strongest according to the Supreme Court and I keep on the statutory issues because they in fact if my conclusions are correct I have personal sovereignty preserved under statute. Statute does not give them 
the authority to talk to me. That right. means every time they talk to me, it's obviously a felony. They're conspiring against my rights when they know I'll never owe anything to them. <clears throat> Instead, they approach me, and Title 18, Section 1841, makes that a 10-year felony. So... I got all the protections in the world in statute if I could just get them enforced. So I'm making the easiest arguments in the world because I'm representing Congress who represented me when they wrote that law. I'm representing what Congress's will is when I go to court and argue statute. You see how much stronger my position is than anything he just outlined. So right or wrong, uh, his positions are simply much uh less problem for the government right. than mine are. Well, from what I understand, his position is that courts, these commercial courts, really don't follow any rules or regulations. They make them up and they determine them and judge them as they go along. They do that even though they're not commercial courts at all. I've never yeah. used the word commerce in anything and in in enforcement of regulations like traffic laws and stuff, I don't detect any commerce. None. I never right. have. And so I've never used the commercial code ever in anything concerning the government. So well, you you I have to have a... Hang on. Just a second. Everything I do takes place after you've lost everybody else's argument and you're forced to code plead. So that's the best way to to keep them separate, study everybody else and what they do. Just don't mix them up with me. You'll come to what I teach when you've lost all the other arguments. Right. If you lose or if you find out that the judge does rule against you, can you object and um, claim yourself to be uh, not the name or ask them to prove that you are the name, so to speak, uh, listed in the, uh, the suit? You can ask for anything you want. You can always ask for anything you want. Right. If you like, if you like to be called frivolous and delusional, uh, <laughs> try some of that stuff. Yeah. But well, I you... just don't do. Any, uh, hang on, I don't do any of it, and so we really have to restrict our questions and dialogue to everything that happens when you've lost every other argument but statutory argument. Right, and how about contract? If you tell them that you don't have a contract with them, because I went to court one time. Yeah, and, and I, the definition of a contract is a meeting of the minds. It's the first thing the definition is going to say. A meeting of the minds means voluntary. There's no such thing as an adhesion contract. If right. I didn't voluntarily sign it, it's not a contract. Next. Right. Yeah, but will they? they do they accept that though, or they just they just I, throw it, it aside? It's not. Since it's not arguing statute, I can't afford to discuss it on this call. Okay. we got to go with code, code pleading only. Yeah, i just like to add, Jeff, that I've seen many, 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 many people uh, use all kinds of, of different uh, ar arguments. I'm, I'm the man of the land, and I'm the sovereign, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm, the all-caps name is not me. And, and I mean, and, and, they're, and, and they could be dead right. But they're but they're doing five to you know thirty six to to sixty months in yeah. prison for that. Okay. Well, from what I also understand, though, if if you really don't have a contract with them, it's really not your business to go to court in the first place. You I know, should be. But I, I have a friend who did five years because of that 
contract. And also, also, it's according to the person that came up with the conclusion that your obligations are uh, arise from you having entered a contract. Right. How did stack? How did statute operate in their conclusions that the law the government's using against you applies to you? They didn't right. start on square one. Exactly. They started in outer space. Right. <laughs> well, if you don't go to court, then then they can't do anything to you. <laughs> no, hang on. That's somebody else's crap, and we can't afford to discuss it. That's patriot movement nonsense. Well, let so me tell you to... something, though. Let me tell you something. Let me break in on you. I have a friend, and um, I had been studying law since 2000, 2007. And um, when we got into studying the tax codes and tax principles, we were in the sovereignty movement, and um, my friend filled out his tax form with a bunch of zeros and then signed it and sent it in. Well, he, uh, he got to, it wasn't long that he got a subpoena to appear in court, and I told him, I said, if you appear in court, they're going to haul you off to jail because you're putting yourself under their jurisdiction, and, you know, you, didn't do, you shouldn't do that. He didn't go to court. And they ended up dropping all the charges, and now he's back to work again. He has a job and, and everything else, and the place where he works is still taking out his taxes, and they haven't done anything to him. And yet, I'm not I saying that it works every the, time, but... Yeah, I can yeah, show you for, many people have gone to jail for not showing yeah, for, up. For every one of those, there's 500 of them in prison or had been in prison. So yeah. uh, they're, they're, the, you can't predict corruption, and so don't predict anything predict that they're going to leave you alone because you paid them what they say you owe. And you got an accountant, an accountant or an attorney or both between you and the government at all times. Right. Those are your choices. Okay. So yeah. I just don't get into what other people do. And what I'd rather do is show people what the law actually says so they're in a position to gripe if they're contacted and they're in a position to prove that they aren't guilty of willfully violating the law. That's all I do. Right. Thank you for your question. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Uh, Thank you. We have um, we have Avahut 99 saying, any news about the plan for the update of the criminal intent course? Yeah, I would have typed in the answer, but I'm blocked on the chat. You are? I know it. No, you're not. Well, it says I am. That's talk shoe. Well, here, wait a minute. I'll block you, and then unblock you. It's almost time for an update on that course, but I haven't done it yet, and it's really not on my front burner. Uh, so uh, please don't hold your breath. But, of course, you'll find out all about it. Okay, we got Illinois Nation. Go ahead there, John. Hey, uh, David Chappie. Okay, so, David, here's my question. Um, in in reference to U.S. versus Milton case, okay, can you hear me okay? okay. Yes. Okay, if if I if I may, there's two paragraphs here that are that that I want to preface my question with, and that the, it's um I think it's it's in the case though the one that you sent us the appellate case. The Miltons maintained that they relied on federal case law and other materials to determine that they were not required to file federal income tax returns. They claimed that they read a notice issued by the IRS which leads them to the Internal Revenue Code 26 U.S.C. Section 1 at sequential. There, Sections 
6001 and 6011 explain that only persons liable must pay taxes. The Milton's claim that from Supreme Court cases and other documents, they learned that the income tax is an excise tax for which, as house painters, they could not be held liable. Okay, that's the first paragraph. The second two sentences says, while courts may have offered differing views of the income tax over time, the United States Supreme Court has consistently interpreted the federal income tax for 80 years. Since 1916, the courts have construed the tax as an indirect tax. An excise tax is an indirect tax. So, David, my question to you. Now, I know I've read through this, and I could tell where now because I've learned so much from you, I can tell where the lies and the half-truths are. However, the question I have for you, and before I ask the question, David, I think I know the answer, but I don't, I don't want to be presumptive. My question to you, David, is explain the court's or the, yeah, the court's um, mindset to say in this appellate brief that the court has construed a tax, the tax as an indirect tax. Explain to me what they're thinking in saying that the federal income tax is an excise tax. Lies and half-truths, you have a bad attitude. <laughs> Come on. Uh. How is it, a, uh, with, with the calculations that we have, it, it yeah, doesn't it, matter whether it's direct or indirect. So how do, direct explain to me how they're on, saying hang it on, is. Hang on, hang on, okay. hang on. Okay. Direct or indirect excise, it doesn't matter. They're not talking about a tax. They're talking about what the IRS collects. And so what they, what they characterize it as is something legitimate. And we know that it's not something legitimate. So screw everything they say about the nature of the tax. The reason the Melton decision, which is unpublished, so it's not important at all, but the importance of what they have to say is huge. Because in that case, they say these are the statutes that impose the tax, and so it's not void for vagueness. And they say this one, that one, gross income, 6012, got to file a return. So it's not void for vagueness. And they don't mention Section 83. And so there's proof right there that the government omits Section 83 and 1012 from their calculations. That's the value of the Melton case. Nothing beyond that. Okay, I understand. And, and it goes back to your answer that you've spoken to before. You're under the incorrect presumption that this whole thing is a tax. It is not a tax because it's not clear, unequivocally... Uh, what did you, how did you explain it before? Go ahead. It's it's not imposed by clear and unequivocal language. Equivocal that's language, the traverse. Right. That's the traverse. The primary argument is, excuse me, all property is a cost. No tax is imposed when I sell my labor. Very good. Thank you. Sure. Um, but here's another point. What the Melton decision skips over, I'm gonna I'm gonna point to the lie and the half truth. The Melton decision says whether it's an uh, excise tax or an indirect tax is immaterial, uh, you obviously still owe it. And yet they had already said they had a misunderstanding of the law. 
they made a legal argument saying this is the reason. Wasn't the court at that point obliged to dismiss the charges? The court didn't get to, well, now they claim to have no criminal intent. They didn't even discuss intent. And so the Melton decision is right out of the middle of that time period where the DOJ and the courts have set aside and operated upon having set aside the essential element of uh, criminal intent. That's another thing that's valuable out of the uh, Melton decision. So things you got to know. Anybody else? We're going to wrap it up. Uh, tell your friends about the uh, call archive and my products page on wevgov.com and topotus.com, T-O-P-O-T-U-S. That stands for President of the United States. Tupotus.com, a bunch of us, like 33 of us, 34 of us, filed a criminal complaint against the IRS Commissioner, U.S. Attorneys General Eric Holder and uh, Loretta Lynch, and the former president, and filed that criminal complaint with the new president on Inauguration Day. Read about it on Tupotus.com. Uh, get a copy of the complaint. It's only 25 bucks. It's bound. It'll go on your desk, your desk shelf, like any other eight and a half by eleven reference manual. And uh, get the other materials on wevgov.com. They won't be available forever. And uh, the longer you wait, the further behind my students you are. And uh, I hope I've priced them all at a price you can afford. The criminal intent course is vital. Uh, we'll be talking uh, more about that in the near future, and I'm going to duck out. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on a Wednesday. Take over, Chris. See you around. Okay. Thank you very much. And, and for the people that haven't heard, uh, I'm I'm helping people now clear up their credit reporting. Uh, you know, there's three reporting a- agencies that keep a, uh, a negatives on, and if you want it off, get in touch with me. Uh, and I'll send you a link where you can watch a short video. Uh, it's very, uh, it's cost effective. Uh, and, you know, in cleaning up your credit report will raise your score. And you'll be surprised that you can save money on auto insurance and and loans and a whole bunch of stuff. Because the, the lower your credit score is, the worse you are. And the, the neat fact about it, is that we can get uh, tax liens off the credit reporting only, not the county, just the credit reporting agencies only. They eliminate state and federal tax. Why? Because they can't certify it. Isn't that interesting? And yet I think that just that alone is bringing bringing us closer to – getting the tax liens removed from the record and so forth. Hold on just a second. And so um, if if we can get the tax liens removed uh, because they can't certify it, then that would be great because I want to talk to this company that uh, I'm representing and find out just how or what is being said that they can take it off the credit reporting because uh, I, I think that needs to be done. So anyhow, with that said, uh, next Wednesday, 
there will be a call. Saturday, David has a call on his show. And um, and I, I don't have his number right in, in front of me, so I don't remember it. But next, uh, next Thursday, Friday, su- Saturday, and Sunday, and Monday, I will be out of town. And so I uh, just wanted to let you guys know, but I should be back by the next Wednesday night call. So with that said, God bless America, and this call is officially over. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 